Okay. Okay, folks. Sorry, we have this uh, technological difficulty. Not uh, not sure why, um, but we will just proceed without the technology. Hey, so John, of the fall? good to see you. What's that? Is it a result of the fall? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> so we'll have to uh, kind of rush along then, I guess, as usual. But let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time here this morning. And uh, Patrick, would you open us in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for another day. We can look at your word and see what the results of the fall are and uh, what true justice is. And to know that all sins will be punished, but also uh, there is a Redeemer uh, that can save us from that and from our own sins. Pray that you bless, help us to pay attention and know more about you and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, um, I'm going to just get this thing out of the way. Deal with it later. This morning, the topic is eternal punishment for those of you who have been uh, following along and um, and some of you who may be wondering what the topic is, <clears throat> just by the title of the topic, you probably are thinking that doesn't sound like a really uh, uplifting sort of topic. And in some ways it is not. But um, it is a topic that is taught in the scriptures. In fact, uh, Jesus has often been said, has said more about hell than he has said about heaven. <clears throat> and so... It is a topic that the scriptures deal with, and we are going to deal with as well. And it has fallen to me, in terms of the chapter rotation, to deal with this particular topic. But we all have a sense of justice, don't we? Don't you have a sense of justice within you? You see uh, somebody who's a big bully beating up on a little kid, and you feel like, that's, that's not right, that's, that's unjust. Or you see somebody who has a lot of power, a lot of money, uh, taking advantage of a poor widow, you think that's not fair, that's unjust. Um, you see all sorts of injustice, those who are stronger taking advantage of the weaker in many ways, and we have a sense that, that something should be done about that. I remember when I was a, a young teenager looking through a magazine and seeing how there were some kids whose arms had been, whose, whose hands had been cut off, who'd been burned with cigarettes, who've been tied to beds by other people just to, to uh, mutilate and, so to speak, um, control these, these children. And I just remember thinking to myself, I'd like to take my baseball bat and hit that guy that cut that kid's hand off. Um, and where did that come from? I wasn't even a Christian. But where did that come from, that sense of, of justice, that sense that this other person who's doing those things and needs to be punished for what he's doing. I think it comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God. We are made in God's image, and God is a just God, and God himself is a God of justice. God is indeed going to mete out justice on those 
on all men, but, but especially on the wicked. God's justice is that which is perfection. His, it, is, it is in line with his character. His character is upright. It is fair. It is impartial. It is equitable. And he was always going to determine what is right. And he will always judge rightly. And whatever punishment he meets out will always be fair and in line with who he is. There's what we might call the um, retributive justice of God. And that's pretty much the topic that we're going to deal with today. You know, there's a rewarding aspect of God's justice. He's going to reward the righteous. And uh, he is going to mete out justice for those who were unfairly treated. But there is also the retributive justice of God. And that is where he meets out justice and punishes the unrighteous. So I want to begin with asking the question, who? Who is going to be judged? Who is going to receive eternal punishment? The persons of the judgment and the eternal punishment um, are the unbelievers. Now, as I've already mentioned, God is going to judge all men. He's going to judge even believers. But our focus is on eternal punishment. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25. And this is a passage that speaks about justice for both unbelievers and believers. It includes both. And it's And our focus, though, is going to be on those who are believers. <clears throat> well, we've already looked at this passage. We looked at this last week when it came to the topic of the millennium. Look with me at chapter 25, verses 31 and following, and we will read this. And as we read through this, what I want you to do is I want you to notice three things. I want you to notice the scope of the judgment, the scope of the judgment. <clears throat> I want you to notice the action in the judgment, okay? And I want you to notice the result, the result of the judgment. We will see that as we go through this passage. So in Matthew chapter 25, let's begin reading. And again, I'm, I'm reading from the NASB, and I think you can follow along. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. He's the king. He's going to sit on his glorious throne. And as king, he has the right to judge. Verse 32, And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, right away, we begin, we, we see actually the um, answer, at least of the first two questions. First question that I asked you, or first two things I asked you to look at was, what is the scope and then um, what is the action in a moment we'll look at the result so what is the scope here that is when we ask who gets judged what's the scope of who gets judged what does the text tell us all the nations, all the nations. now 
I can't resist but um, point out something that I pointed out last week, that um, this is judging all the nations. This is not, <clears throat> this is not a, a time when he is going to judge just the nations who are alive on the earth. Okay, It says all the nations. We don't have time to look at it, but if you want to write these references down, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, and then Matthew 28 and verse 19 is the only other place where Matthew uses that expression, all the nations. He says, go and preach the gospel to all the nations. When he says all the nations, is he talking about only the nations that are alive at that time? Or did he include all nations that would ever, you know, come about from the time that he issued the command to, to, to today and on until he comes? It's all the nations, and that's what this passage is telling us is that he is gathering all the nations. There may be some nations that come and go. Some nations that have gone out of existence. But he is going to gather all the nations. It's not just the nations that are alive. He's going to gather them all before him. And what's he going to do? What's the action? He's separating. He's, he's separating among the nations. Now, <clears throat> who does he separate? What, how, how does this separation work according to this text? The sheep from the goats. Okay. Now, is, do you really think that he's talking about separating nations that are sheep nations and nations that are goat nations? I don't think so. He's saying, I'm gathering together all the peoples on all the earth who exist in all the nations of the earth and I'm going to separate individuals, individual people, those who are sheep and those who are goats. And we know something about those who are sheep, don't we? Who are the ones who are the sheep? Christians, Christians those for whom Jesus died, John 10. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And so in verse 33, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What do you think that kingdom is? The kingdom that is prepared from the foundation of the world? Who inherits the kingdom of God? Who enters the kingdom of God? John 3. You, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must what? Be born from above. Be born again. It is those who are born again who enter the kingdom. And the king is going to say to those who are on the right, Come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit this kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And on it goes. We won't read the whole thing. It says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and, and give you drink? And he says, when you did it to the, one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The way that you treat God's people has something to do with how you are treating me. Because I am so identified with them that all of God's people are in Christ. He is not ashamed to call us brethren. We are united to him. We've, all these are topics that we've talked about on the president. Jason talked about union with Christ. We are united to Christ. So when, when, we, when we do something good for one of God's people, one of Jesus' brothers, other brothers, <laughs> then we are doing it to him. 
In verse 40, uh, verse 41, then he will also say to these on the left, depart from me, accursed ones. Now it's not accursed nations, but accursed ones. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked and you didn't clothe me. In prison, you did not visit me. Then they themselves will say, when did we see all this? In verse 45, then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And what's the, what's the final result in verse 46? And these will go away into eternal punishment. And that's the topic of our lesson, eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Those who belong to the Lord go to eternal life, go into eternal life. Those who don't belong to the Lord, eternal punishment. That is what the king himself, what Jesus himself is going to mete out on the day of judgment when he comes and he sits on his glorious throne. That's the result. So the scope is all nations, all peoples, separating sheep from goats, individuals. <clears throat> the action is what I just said, separating them. He's making it a, a division. And that division has to do with how they relate to Jesus, what their relationship with Jesus is. And the result, what is at stake? In this, verse 46, what's at stake is eternal punishment versus eternal life. <clears throat> now, by the way, just an aside here again, some of the dispensationalists will say that um, regarding this judgment, um, the judgment is just for the nations who are alive at that time. He's dividing the, the nations. He's, he's separating the nations. Some dispensationalists who are a, a little less radical will actually say that it does have to do with the individuals in those nations and not the nations themselves. <clears throat> but what they go on to say then is that um, the kingdom that is being inherited is the, the millennial kingdom. And so those who are going to be, um, those who are blessed in this particular instance are the ones who get to enter into the millennial kingdom. I don't know. I didn't see anything about a millennial kingdom in that passage. Did you? It says kingdom, but is that the millennial kingdom or is he talking about verse 46, an everlasting kingdom? where the righteous dwell forever. You see, I see this passage talking about eternity, not a thousand-year millennium. And by the way, as I mentioned before, the nations, <clears throat> the term nations is not restricted to just those nations <clears throat> who are alive at that time, but all nations. 
Okay, so that is one of the first passages to ask, uh, answer this question and to get a handle on, and I think a very key passage to get a handle on the subject of eternal punishment. There is coming a day of judgment. There's coming a day of judgment when he's going to se separate the sheep from the goats. <clears throat> and the, the ones who are the sheep are the ones for whom he died. They're his people. The ones who are the goats are the ones who are outside. They're the ones who have not had a relationship with Christ, who have not wanted a relationship with Christ. And the eternal destiny of each is determined. And is described by Matthew in this text as eternal life or eternal punishment. And in fact, <clears throat> there are further descriptions here in verse 41 as to what eternal punishment means. It doesn't mean you don't get to go into the millennium. What eternal punishment means is eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So that's Matthew. Let's go to, let's jump to the end of the, the New Testament. Let's go to Revelation. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 11. <clears throat> In Revelation chapter 11, we'll start reading of verse 15. And again, I want you to look at the scope, the action, and the judgment. The action and the judgment are really pretty much the same, or the action and the result are pretty much the same in this particular passage. And the seventh angel sounded, and there arose loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Kind of like Matthew, isn't it, where now he's sitting on the throne. He's reigning forever and ever, the same sort of context, just to express the way John expresses it and the way that it's expressed in, in the apocalyptic literature. And uh, in verse 20, in verse 16, it says, And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones, sit on their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God the Almighty, who art and who wast, because thou hast taken thy great power and hast begun to reign. And the nations were enraged. Okay, here we got the nations again. The nations were enraged, and thy wrath came. And the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to give their reward to thy bondservants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to those who fear thy name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. If we look at this passage, doesn't it pretty much parallel what we just saw from Matthew? What's the scope of the judgment? Who's there? What are the, the nations? What's another term that's used to describe them? Look at verse... Uh, let's see. Verse 18. Okay, the, what? The dead. Okay, the dead. He's going to rest. He's going to bring all the dead. Yes, and some of those dead are destroyers. Um, <clears throat> what happens to those? Some of the dead. What happens to them? Well, 
those who were dead, those who were bondservants and prophets and saints and those who feared his name, both great and small. That sounds like you know pretty much everybody, doesn't it? Um, they're going to be judged and what's going to happen to them? They're going to receive their reward, are they not? But then there are others who are described very briefly in this particular passage. Not every passage, by the way, is described in, in full. It's kind of like, you know, if you read through the Bible, <clears throat> sometimes you see Jesus being referred to as the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes you hear him referred to as the Lord Jesus. Sometimes it's Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's just Jesus. Sometimes it's the Christ. So sometimes there's more of an abbreviated way of referring to someone. Well, I think in this particular instance, there's just a very brief description of the wicked. <clears throat> we will still see later there's a very extensive description of the wicked later on in Revelation. But here, he's just called them those who destroy the earth. Those who destroy the earth. <clears throat> and I think that this is just an indication that the only ones who really who know who can um, live on this earth in the way that the Lord would de desire for them to live are those who know that He is the one who is the Lord of the earth, and um, and they use the earth under His command and under His authority. Unbelievers they just use the earth however they want. And I, this is not a this is not a, a sermon on um, ecology or um, you know being green. It's not that kind of a thing. Um, but what it is, it, it indicates the fact that at heart, unbelievers are like their father, the devil, destroyers in one way or another. Okay, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 14. This is the passage that um, Brother Jason handled, and so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this. We've already done that with Brother Jason, but I just want to highlight a few of the things. I want to look at the same, the same three areas, scope, action, and result. <coughs> so in Revelation chapter 20, we see, And I saw a great white throne in him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. See a throne again, don't we? See a king sitting on a throne. Kind of like the other passages. <clears throat> In verse 12, <clears throat> and I saw the, the dead. The dead again. So we're seeing some parallels here. The great and the small. We read that in the earlier passage too, didn't we? The great and the small. <clears throat> Sounds like the same, same thing. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And Jason uh, helpfully helped us to, to see this particular perspective on the books that were there. You know, a book, and the book, and then the books, plural. <clears throat> so we're not going to go into all that. However, um, it says the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death, the lake of, second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so what do we see here? Scope of the judgment. 
It's all the dead, right? What, what about the action that's involved in what is he? What is he doing? What happens at the judgment? Some go into eternal life, whose names are found written in the book of life, and some are cast into the lake of fire. Some are sheep, some are goats. And in this particular instance, it adds some additional thoughts like death itself and Hades itself are thrown into the lake of fire. So we see the same pattern, do we not? One more passage, Revelation chapter 21. <clears throat> and here we're going to see a further description, a detailed, more detailed description of who it is who is punished. <clears throat> but in Revelation chapter 21, Verses, verse 5 and following. By, this is, by the way, this is when uh, um, he sees a new heavens and a new earth in the first verse of 21, John does. <clears throat> and down in verse 5 it says, And he who sits on the throne, whoa, got another throne, <laughs> same thing, right? And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from, from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things. Now, those of you who know something about the book of Revelation know that throughout the book of Revelation, this, this phrase, this idea of he who overcomes, he who overcomes, he who overcomes is repeated again and again. And it has reference to those who are God's people. God's people are called overcomers or conquerors. He who conquers. And so here again is the same, same, same expression. He who overcomes shall inherit these things. The overcomers are going to inherit something. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. But... Verse 8, and here we come a detailed description. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Do we see the same basic pattern here. We see something here um, that it, that with regard that hasn't been maybe as clear as, a, as in other passages, and that is the time of the judgment. If you go back to verse 1, I saw new heavens and a new earth. The time of the judgment is going to be when the new heavens and the new earth are made. We learn from Matthew, it's when Jesus returns. <clears throat> It is done, he says, um, I will give to the one who thirsts. 
Verse 6, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Who are the ones who thirst? Does that remind you of any other passages? Matthew, chapter 5, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Come, you who are thirsty, I will fill you. Doesn't it speak of the fact that here we have believers again? The thirsty are those who thirsted after righteousness. The the conquerors are those who have conquered sin through Christ. And in contrast to that, we see this lengthy, fairly lengthy description of those who go to hell. There's all sorts of terms to describe them. Cowardly. There's something, there's some people who are so cowardly they let their cowardice, their fear, keep them from heaven, keep them from Christ. Unbelieving, or you might say faithless, those without faith. Abominable, there are many descriptions of those who are abominable in the scriptures. Murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters. Now, are there not many of these kinds of people in heaven? Such were some of you. There are. But what's the difference? What's the difference? They are washed. They've come to Christ. Christ has taken their health for them. They've been cleansed. They've been purged of their sins because they have come to Christ. Their relationship to Jesus is what matters. And so there are those who did not want Christ and they wanted their sin instead. And this is what happens. They have a part. They have a part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So the scriptures tell us something about who gets judged. Those who do not know the Lord. Those who are the goats. Those who are the destroyers on the earth. Those who fit these descriptions here. Those who ultimately have not turned to Christ. Because John tells us, he who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. And the life that he's talking about is the eternal life that that he's mentioned already, that Matthew mentioned in chapter 25. But what about the nature of the punishment? What is this punishment like? Well, we've already got some passages, some some hints here. Sorry for my voice here. I woke up with a sore throat this morning, so bear with me. <clears throat> we have some, um, some passages that we've already looked at that give us some ideas as to what this punishment is like, but first of all, I just want to say this, and that is, it is, it is a place. It's a place. This place of punishment that we call hell, it's a place. 
In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19, let's, in fact, let's just look at that. Matthew 18 and verse 19. Jason, do you have that? Would you read that for us? Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. No, I'm sorry. Nine, eighteen, nine. I thought that didn't sound right. <laughs> eighteen, nine. <laughs> and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Literally, that word hell of fire is the Gehenna of fire. And what was Gehenna? You may have heard that expression before. What was Gehenna? Well, Gehenna <clears throat> was a, uh, the word ge, G-E, uh, is the word for land or, or earth <clears throat> or valley. And Hinnom uh, is to do with a, a valley or the sons of Hinnom. There was the valley of the sons of Hinnom, literally. And originally it was a valley that was southwest of Jerusalem where wicked idolaters, wicked idolaters sacrificed their children to Molech by causing them to pass through the fire. <clears throat> you probably remember reading about that in the Old Testament where they would offer to the god Molech their children and they would in essence, you know, burn them to death. <clears throat> well, that's what that's where this place was. And then later, as time went on, it was, became, it became um, it had the, the, ter uh, the term was called the Valley of Spittle because you, it's so disgusting that we spit, you know, it's like, you know, you spit in somebody's face, it's like an ultimate insult. So it <clears throat> became uh, called the Valley of Spittle. It's a, it was a, a disgusting place. <clears throat> and then later, <clears throat> as, as, um, during the, the time of Jesus and other times, um, fires were then constantly burning in this place. It was a place where people kind of got rid of their refuse, their offal. That offal is like the in, internals of animals and things like that. So it was, it was where they would take these parts of these animals that were not going to be eaten, but they were going to be discarded and their rubbish and their garbage, and they would take it outside the city and put it in this place called Gehenna. <clears throat> and there were constantly fires that were burning out there to burn this stuff up. And there were constantly, and we're going to see this term a little bit later, they were mixed in with all of this offal and all the stuff that was out there. There were the worms that would eat it constantly. <clears throat> and so Gehenna became the symbol of eternal punishment, eternal fire. It was a place it was a place. And we've seen from these other passages of scripture that, that um, eternal punishment is a place where people go. They are cast into the lake of fire. They cast into the fiery pit. And there's many other terms that are used, but they're all, they're consistently, you know, terms of place. And it's a place of suffering for both body and soul. And we ask the question, what's the nature of, the, of this? It's a place of suffering bo of both body and soul. Um, look with me at Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Matthew chapter 10, in verse 28. 
Let's see, let me grab somebody. Tim, do you have that passage there? Did you read that? Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is that, by the way? Who's the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell? God. Now, some people thought that refers to the devil. No, that's not the devil. <clears throat> the devil is going to be cast into hell himself. He's not the one who, who destroys both soul and body in hell. It is, it, is, it is God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, <clears throat> don't fear the, the one who can only destroy your body, but fear the one who can destroy both your body and your soul. But notice it includes body and soul. It's eternal punishment, but includes body and soul. There are other passages that we could look at in that regard. But <clears throat> when you think about the fact that he's going to destroy um, body and soul, you, you can't help but think this is a horrible, horrible place. It's eternal. It is called in other places that we've already read, the lake of fire. It's a place that is called something, a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Now some would say because it is a place called prepared for the devil and his angels, and the devil and his angels are really essentially spirits, that this is not a literal fire. Well, that's probably, I mean, it's in, because literal fire doesn't affect a spirit. And I don't know, you know, I don't, can a literal fire affect a spirit in some way? You know, I'm not sure about that. But what we do know is that whatever it is, it's going to be a horrible place and it's going to be commensurate with the being that suffers there and it's going to be commensurate with suffering in body as well as soul. What about the soul? Look with me at Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12. <coughs> We've already read about the soul. <clears throat> but, um, <clears throat> Paula, do you have that? Would you mind reading Matthew 8 and verse 12? But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, by the way, the sons of the kingdom in this particular context has to do with Jews. It's those Jews. He's addressing Jews who thought themselves to be sons of the kingdom by virtue of the fact that they were Israelites. I'm an Israelite. Abraham's my father. Therefore, I'm a son of the kingdom. I'm, gonna, I'm cool. I'm, I'm safe just because of who my, my father is. And he's saying, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You call yourself a son of the kingdom and yet you reject the Messiah who comes. What's going to happen to you? <clears throat> Are you going to inherit the kingdom? No, you're not. You so-called sons of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness, another term to describe this place. In that place there will be what? Weeping. I believe that the gnashing of teeth has to do with an ongoing anger and rebellion. It may also indicate like the, the, the grinding of the teeth that comes from pain, 
But I think if you look at the scriptures, there are a number of places where the gnashing of teeth, they gnashed their teeth at Stephen when they stoned him. They were angry at him. Um, there are other places that we could look at in the Psalms too, where it talks about the, the, righteous, or the wicked gnashing their teeth at the righteous. I think it has to do with an, an anger toward them, an unrighteous anger. And I think that that unrighteous anger is going to exist in the hearts of those who were in hell for eternity. It is not as though they get to hell and then they repent and truly believe. No, they are going to have an ongoing heart of rebellion in hell. So Larry, could we say that they will know that Jesus is Lord, but they will continue to sin and rail against him? Yes. Every, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. And yet it is, it is, it is a man whose heart is so, so in rebellion against the king, against Jesus, that this Jesus that they never wanted to believe in, that they've never accepted, they had to confess who he is, but they're, they're on their knees in rebellion. So when people say, how can God punish somebody for eternity? The answer could be because they go on sinning for eternity. That's true. And every one of their sins was an eternal sin because it was committed against an eternal God. Mm -hmm. But this is a place where the soul, there's a, is as it were a destruction of the soul. You've heard it said that um, you harbor bitterness in your heart against somebody. And sometimes people harbor bitterness in their hearts against people and the other person doesn't even know it. They don't know that they didn't think, you know, they're oblivious to it. And yet somebody harbors that bitterness there. And who is it destroying? The person against whom the bitterness is held or is it destroying the person holding the bitterness? And this, this weeping, this anger that is going to go on forever in the heart of the unbelievers is going to be, it's going to be an eternal destruction. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's also a place where some would point out that there's a degree of suffering there. There are degrees of suffering. We won't take time to look at, at those passages because we're short on time here. Um, but some would say that based on, and you can, I'll, I'll give you these passages if you want to write them down. Matthew chapter 11, verses 22 to 24. Luke 12, 47 to 48. And then Luke 20. Uh, somebody gave me Luke 20, 17, but I didn't really quite see that one. But you can look it up and see if you can figure it out. <laughs> um, the other two made a little more sense. But there's a place of degrees of suffering. There are degrees of reward in hell, in heaven. And, and it looks like there may be degrees of suffering in hell as well. But the best place in hell is not going to be, it's going to be a place of eternal torment and suffering. And it is eternal suffering. We've already seen that. We've already seen that from Matthew chapter 25. Look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Here it talks about Christ returning and he talks about those who have been persecuted by unbelievers. And um, he says... 
verse, uh, let's begin reading at verse 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you indeed are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to those who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, dealing out retribution, retributive justice. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will, will pay the penalty of, penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among those who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. You are being persecuted and those persecutors will someday get their just due. And it's going to be eternal destruction. It's a place of eternal suffering. In Revelation chapter 14, it says, The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. So all of this <clears throat> tells us that the concepts that, that are contrary to this uh, have no place in, in the word of God. So, for example, um, what are some of the some of the false ideas? Annihilationism. Does this talk about annihilationism? Eternal destruction doesn't speak of annihilationism, does it? What about conditional immortality that you suffer for a brief period of time and then then you're annihilated? No, that, we don't see that in these passages, do we? <clears throat> What about universalism? Everybody gets saved and everybody goes to heaven and nobody suffers eternally? Do we see that? No. Let me just give you a few concluding thoughts real quickly. I began my study and I was thinking that this is not really a topic I like to teach on. It's not a very pleasant topic. Um, and. Um, and maybe some of the reasons why we think that this is not a very pleasant topic or something that we really don't want to talk about is because that we think that we are better than Jesus, who talked about it a lot. We think ourselves sometimes too good, too kind, too loving to be content with somebody going to hell. And we are repulsed, we are repulsed by hell because we think ourselves too good to want, to pe to, to want people to suffer there, but hell is there because God made it to punish the wicked, are we better than God? Are we more kind than God? Are we more loving than God? Perhaps the real reason why we hate hell so is because we don't hate evil enough. <clears throat> Dorothy Sayers, who wrote a paper on Dante's Inferno, says there seems to be a kind of conspiracy to forget or to conceal where the doctrine of hell comes from. The doctrine of hell is not medieval priestcraft for frightening people into giving money to the church. It is Christ's deliberate judgment on sin. We cannot repudiate hell without altogether repudiating Christ. 
Think of the terms that describe hell, eternal fire, unquenchable fire, furnace of fire, lake of fire, lake of burning sulfur, a place where the worms of destruction never die. Prison, outer darkness, black darkness, Tartarus, which is a term that refers to the deepest, lowest pit of darkness, the bottomless pit. These are horrible descriptions, are descriptions of this place. But hell is going to be full of people who get exactly what they want. In this life, they did not want a relationship with God, and in hell they won't have one. They get what they wanted. I don't want to repent of my sins. You won't. And so you will get the just desserts for that. I don't want to be in the presence of God. You will be cast away from the presence of God forever. Do you want the presence of God now in this life? Do you want to bow your knee to Christ and know the presence of, of his, and the joy of his presence now? Worshiping as we will shortly with God's people? Then you will enjoy that forever, the presence of God forever. But if you don't want that, then you will not have that, and you will not have that forever. Hell is a place where people get what they want. It's not a place where you party. You hear people say, at least in hell, I'll be with my friends. No, you won't. Your friends will be there, but you won't see them. You won't party with them. And all the good things that you enjoyed in this life and that you made your idols, you will have none of that in hell. You made music your reference, your, your idol. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about making music. Sorry for going over a little bit. I'm not talking about using music for the glory of God, giving praise to God because he is the one who is the author of music, like Jay Joy and Dave Malone or Jay Poe. You know, there are all of us as we gather together to worship. I'm not talking about that. You know that. But there are some who make music their idol. Hell, you will never hear a note of music again. You will never hear somebody even humming off tune. You will not have that. So what we should do, I think, brothers and sisters, we should be very grateful that God has delivered us from this place. How thankful we should be that Christ took our help for us. He suffered for us that we might have eternal life. And we need to reach out to those who don't know him. So they won't go to this horrible place. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking our help for us. And we give you thanks in your blessed name. Amen.